Welcome to this ministry from Norwich Central Baptist Church. Coming to you on Sunday the 22nd of March, but as you may appreciate, being recorded in rather stranger circumstances. This is a critical time for our nation and the world. But I have to be honest with you, those issues are not going to be addressed. And some of you may be thankful for that. Because I'm going to speak to you from the series of messages that we have at this time called Follow My Leader. And we've come to the sixth in the series. And we're looking at discipleship and various aspects of what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. A disciple, we were reminded in the last of these series, is one who listens to Jesus, learns from Jesus, and lives for Jesus. And so we're going today to focus on following my leader to learn humility and to love one another. And our focus is going to be on John chapter 13 and verses 1 to 20. And if all goes well in the future weeks, we will continue with this theme right up until the end of April. The Bible reading that we will take is from the account written by John, one of the confidants of Jesus. Because of his close relationship to Jesus, he writes not only about the events of Jesus' life and his teaching, but of the deeper spiritual significance of his Lord's actions and words. And as we read through the passage, I want you to, to look for three things. Jesus knew, and Jesus took action, and Jesus taught. Those three things as we read through that passage in John chapter 13 now. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. 
he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now, if you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you now, before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth. Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me, accepts the one who sent me. May God bless his word to us as we consider it together now. I said we we're going to focus upon what Jesus knew, the action that Jesus took, and what Jesus taught. And in looking at these three, we shall also look at the application of these things to ourselves. And we will ask the question of ourselves, what do I know? And what action do I take? I was going to add, um, what do I teach? But some of you may say that you're not a teacher. However, the truth is that our actions speak louder than our words, and that applies here. We do not have to teach directly. How we live models what we believe. And in this way, each of us teaches indirectly. So what did Jesus know? 
Let's look at the first of these, and it comes in the very first verse. Jesus knew the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. This event recorded by John takes us to a crisis in the life of Jesus. Within 24 hours, he will be dead and buried, and he knows it. This meeting of Jesus with the 12 closest followers was at great personal risk to them all, but especially to Jesus. The mission on which he had been sent by his father was almost complete. There had been times in Jesus' ministry when he had been close to arrest by the authorities. He had a price on his head, and some wanted him eliminated. But each time that happened, John always wrote, his time had not yet come. But now he could say that Jesus knew the time had come. How else can I express what Jesus knew at this time? I would put it like this, that Jesus knew his life's purpose. He knew why he had been sent. He knew what the Father had required of him. And that now he was about to return to the Father, perhaps to report on the mission being completed. He knew his life's purpose. What action did he take then, knowing his life's purpose? Well, it's there still in verse 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. So he continued to demonstrate love to those who had been his closest disciples, those he'd come to know so well. We always have to note here that the word love is the Greek word agape, which is nothing to do with sentiment or feeling, but it's a matter of the will where we are always seeking the highest good of another. So the full extent of his love being demonstrated from now covers not only this last meal with them, but all through to eventually his being impaled on the cross, the subject of a miscarriage of justice. He took action. Having loved them, he now showed them the full extent of his love, which was beginning now as they were round this meal table. Let's turn that to ourselves for a moment and ask the question, what do I know? Because Jesus knew his life's purpose, 
he was able to submit to the extremes of physical and spiritual anguish in order to complete his mission. But what do I know? Is my life driven by a sense of purpose? Do I know my life's purpose? Do I know my life to be in God's hands and at his disposal, ready to fulfill what he has asked me to do? I wonder, though you are listening to this, you may be only an explorer of the Christian faith. All I can say to you, if you do not know what your life's purpose is, put your life in the hands of your God and see where it takes you. But if you call yourself a Christian disciple, what has the Lord asked of you? Are you conscious that he has called you to some specific role in life, some ministry, something that you can undertake for him? The question is, are you doing it? What action am I taking to fulfill my life's purpose? Let's look at the second thing that we're told that Jesus knew. Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Verse 3. Here is a staggering concept. Jesus knew that he was in the highest position of authority. Outwardly, a nobody. To some, a charlatan. In reality, he is Lord over all. He knows that the Father has put all things under his power. He knows that he's come from God, the Father, and he will be returning. Returning to receive the reward due to him for completing his mission, that he might be Lord over all, King of kings and Lord of lords. So knowing this, what action did Jesus take? Well, we're told further in the, in the next few verses, four and five. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. What did he do? They had started the meal, and yet it was customary for a servant to be on hand to wash everyone's dusty feet. There was the water, there was a towel, but there was no servant. Perhaps no servant was willing on this night where there was risk all around them of the authorities, that no one was willing to serve. And then 
the most staggering thing is that most important person around that meal table undertook the task. Now, what is significant here? Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the other writers of the life and the ministry of Jesus, talked about a dispute that broke out among the twelve. That very meal time, their dispute was over who was the greatest. Sadly, it wasn't the first time that they had discussed this among themselves, but they were slow to learn. Jesus had to say to them on more than one occasion, several, that their understanding of who they were in the kingdom of God that was coming was completely wrong. Were they at this time, again, breaking into an argument as to who was greatest? They could see the, the water, they could see the towel. Were they looking to see who was the lowest of them in order to take on this menial task? Perhaps they all stood, as it were, or, or sat at one side, thinking, that's not for me to do. But who did it? The most important person at the table. The one who had all authority given to him. And I want you to ask this, what do I know? What do I know about my true position? Do I have a sense of my own significance? If my life has a purpose given to me by God, what is my true position? Jesus, in his teaching, spoke of a, a reward system operating in the kingdom of which he is king. And there are other places in the New Testament which describe the true disciples of Jesus as sons and daughters of God, as members of a royal family. Knowing who you are in God's sight must surely impact upon the way you live. Do you know your true position? And what action will you then take on the basis of that? Will you follow the lead of your master and Lord? and be prepared to serve. Jesus took action. Let's look at a third thing that Jesus knew. It comes in verse 11. Jesus knew who was going to betray him. You see, Jesus knew those who were true disciples. Around that table, there was a rotten apple in the barrel. One of the twelve had already planned to let the authorities know Jesus' whereabouts on this night. 
Jesus knew the thoughts and intents of the hearts of those closest to him. He knew who were his true disciples. So what did he do? What action did Jesus take? We're told he finished washing their feet, put on his clothes, and returned to his place. What did he do? He carried on. He washed the feet of his betrayer. He continued then to eat with Judas, to share the moment. Jesus would go on after the meal to speak of his betrayal. He would become distressed at the very thought of what was going to happen. And it's almost as an aside, he slips Judas a morsel of food, giving him the indication that he knows his plan, giving him an opportunity to change his proposed actions before suggesting that if he was determined to go ahead, that he should do it quickly. Jesus knew his betrayer, but he continued to minister to him. Now, what do I know? What do I know about those who are true disciples? And what action do I take? I do not know those who are true disciples. I only know what people say and what people do. And I have to make a judgment as to their being a brother or sister follower of Jesus. I have to, uh, to make a commitment to them. And what action must I take? Well, Jesus is my Lord. He is my master. Is there anything that is beyond the limit as far as I am concerned? No. Whether someone turns out to be a true disciple or not, whether they turn out to be a friend or even an enemy to me, whether they are encouraging me or they are undermining me, I must serve all that may come across my path. Let me look then at what Jesus taught. And it's when he has completed the task, he's put his outer garments back on and is sitting back at the table. He says this in verses 14 and 15, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Because he is Lord and teacher, he is to be followed. A disciple 
is someone who does what his teacher does, follows, watches, listens, and imitates what his Lord does. He has set the example, and therefore, everyone who, who says they are a follower of Christ should be following him in undertaking this washing of one another's feet. Now, I want to ask the question here, should I literally wash the feet of others and allow them to wash mine? Foot washing has been part of Christian ritual down the centuries. Some Christian groups pay more attention to it than others. But even those from uh, non-conformist backgrounds, such as ourselves, the free churches, the Baptists, and so on, even they have, in their history, times when they have undertaken this ritual. When I first came to Norwich, I was at a local church, and looking at its past history, which only went back to the beginning of the last century, we find that that uh, church undertook foot washing on the Thursday evening before the Good Friday. It was the uh, minister's uh, responsibility to select 12, any 12 people from the congregation and bring them uh, to the church and there they would just, the, the few of them there, uh, reenact this washing of feet. It was the English monarch's practice from the time of King John right through to King James II to wash and kiss the feet of selected beggars. I understand that uh, in some cases the, the king appointed someone who would wash the beggar's feet first to make sure that they weren't too bad by the time he washed them a second time because he had to kiss their feet. Well, it soon changed after a while, after the times of James II, became more ritualized. So that today, we will now have a Morn Day service where our Queen is the distributor of Maundy money to selected pensioners who come from uh, a region around a particular cathedral as she travels around the country year by year. Now, all rituals can be helpful, but they can also be dangerous. There was a time when I was in full-time Christian ministry. It came to a very sad and rather sudden end, very painful for me. And I I had to find somewhere where I could worship and continue to grow as a Christian disciple. Thankfully, I found a place in the Church of England. Uh, I do love the Church of England. Sometimes they do leave you alone. Uh, you can sit at the back of the church. You can attend the services. And no one's going to ask you any awkward questions. Well, no Christian can sit around in a church and do nothing. 
is part of our calling to serve. And I was quite clear that I should not involve myself in any ministry which I might construe as spiritual. And so I decided that I must look for something non-spiritual that I could do. But I didn't want to push anyone else aside. So I, I thought, is there something that needs doing but no one is doing it? It wasn't long before I found out what it was. The churchyard was a bit of a thoroughfare. And one Sunday morning when I uh, left the church, I found quite a considerable number of beer bottles and beer cans uh, strewn around in the church grounds and a, a bag to go with it, very thoughtfully. Um, someone had bought these things at the local shop the night before, uh, had a bit of a, a party with fr friends and then just left everything as it was. And so did I. But when I found the same bottles and cans, the same bag in the same place, seven days later, I realized here was a job no one was doing. So that's what I did. I used the bag, I picked up the bottles and cans, and took them to the recycling. I then found that everybody knew about this job and that it needed doing because I was given all the advice in the world. I was told where to get rubber gloves. I was told where to get spare plastic bags. I was strongly advised about all the, the drug needles that you would find around, so you've got to be very, very careful. I was even advised to stop doing it on that point, even though, I must say, I only found one in three years, and that was already in a needle box. So everybody knew the job needed doing, and everybody knew that they weren't prepared to do it. And that was the job I did. I, d I don't mention this, as it were, to, to boost anything about myself, but I found something to do that I was comfortable doing because it needed to be done. And when I say, should I wash the feet of others and allow them to wash mine? Do that ritual if you wish to do it. But I think the whole purpose of this is that I should learn humility. I must learn to do as Jesus did, to stoop to the lowest place. Jesus also has words about his betrayal. And in the confusion of the moment, Judas slips away. Nobody quite knows why he has gone. And Jesus says more. just want to read to you some verses that come later in this chapter. When Judas was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will not be with you. I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, 
And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. His teaching at the point when he has been stabbed in the back by his close friend is this, love. Love one another. What does that mean? Love one. Seek the highest good of one. And then love another. Look for another to serve. Another that you can minister to. So how can I show that I'm a true disciple of Jesus? If you're exploring the Christian faith, you can have no doubt of what is expected. No ifs, no buts, no exceptions. Love one another. To those already disciples of Christ, the bar is set high and it's also at the same time set low. The standard is high but you have to be low, to stoop down. You should love others, how did Jesus put it? As he, he loves us and we must love others in the same way. I should love as Jesus has loved me. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me, that is the measure. How we apply this in this time of crisis, where it is more difficult to be in contact with one another, well, I'm sure we're all working that out even now. Individually, we're wondering how we can help one another within uh, the Christian community, how we can help our neighbor. Let's be willing to serve, even though the opportunities may be rather difficult. Those who come to worship regularly here at Norwich Central Baptist Church will be familiar with the words of a song written by Graham Kendrick. And they're a fitting close to this look at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. From heaven you came, helpless babe, Entered our world, your glory veiled, not to be served, but to serve and give your life that we might live. So, let us learn how to serve and in our hearts enthrone him, each other's needs to prefer, for it is Christ we're serving. Amen.